Good morning, everyone. You guys could open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 3. That's where we'll be today. And um, I'm going to reiterate one more time just what Benkai said, is that one of the things that you will hear often said at this church is to bring the real you to the real Jesus. And listen, I'm I'm never going to get tired of that statement. I say that statement to myself all the time. And the reason is, is because I believe there's gospel simplicity in that statement to bring the real you to the real Jesus. And that's, that's where I want to remain in my Christian walk is in gospel simplicity. And, uh, you know, many times people think that the gospel is just something that you believe at the moment of your salvation. And then you kind of just move on to other things. Right? I think I, you understand what I'm talking about. But for me, I, I want to remain in the place of continually hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. That he died on a cross for my sins. And that he was buried. And that he rose from the dead three days later. See, this is the testimony about Jesus in history. This is the testimony about Jesus through prophecy. And hopefully that's the testimony of your life as the Spirit of God has borne witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. And the way that someone becomes a child of God is that they believe in Jesus. You know, you put your trust in Jesus to save you from the penalty of sin, which is death. And then you receive this new life that Jesus offers you, and you walk in it by the Spirit of God in that this is something that is eternal. You know, but unfortunately, many people get ahead of the gospel. Like I said, they think it's just something at the start of your Christianity, and then you move on to other things. You know, Second John chapter 1, verse 9 warns us about this and tells us not to run ahead of Jesus. He says, everyone who runs ahead and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. But whoever remains in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Now, my family and I, we moved to Palos Verdes this summer, and thankfully, we have a pool in our condo. And I take my kids down to the pool, and um, what ends up happening often is that my daughter likes to run ahead. She just wants to get down there and jump in the water, where my son kind of lags behind, and he stops at this one bush that has these yellow flowers, and he'll just stop and he'll pick them. And so I've got my daughter way up ahead, and I've got my son falling behind. I'm kind of torn in the middle of just like, ah, oh, I want them to be right with me, and we can walk down there together. And I think that's a picture of our walk with Jesus, that I never want to run ahead of the gospel, and I never want to fall behind the gospel. I want to remain. I want to abide in the simple gospel of Jesus Christ and be reminded continuously about the simplest truths about who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so this is really where we're going to focus on today and just as a church, that we're going to look in the word of God in the Bible, and continually be reminded. And if I could just remind you quickly again, I'm just going to say it again, and maybe you're hearing this for the first time. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was sent by the Father from heaven to earth. And when he came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, and he died a sacrificial death. 
He paid the debt of sinners when he died on that cross. He was buried in a tomb, but three days later, he rose from the dead in triumph over sin, death, and the devil. And then he ascended back to heaven and he sent the Holy Spirit that indwells those who believe in him and he's coming back again. That's the gospel. Amen? Amen. And that's where I want to remain. I want to always remain in that place as this church has become established and as you are the body of it. I want Jesus to always be the head. I want the gospel to always be the forefront of our focus. And that's why we've decided as a church to begin this church by studying the gospel of Mark. And you know, the unique thing about Mark's gospel is that it begins by informing the reader about who Jesus is. So that's you and I. We're the ones reading the written gospel. We already know who Jesus is. It says in Mark chapter one, verse one, that he is the son of God. And this is who Jesus really is. However, the unique thing about Mark's gospel is that just like any story, we as the readers already know about the main character. And if, if you're confused about the, who the main character is, it's Jesus. And you're not the main character, by the way. Jesus is the main character. And, and we already know that he's the son of God sent from heaven, but the people in the story... In the Gospel of Mark, they're still discovering who he really is. And since we started the Gospel of Mark on September 27th when we launched this church, Mark has already shown how Isaiah knew that a Messiah was coming and he prophesied about him. Started off where John knew that a Messiah was coming and he prepared the way for him. The Father knew who Jesus was and he spoke audibly from heaven about who his son is. The devil knows who Jesus is, and he tried to tempt him with sin. The demons certainly know who Jesus is, because in every single chapter, when they see Jesus, they cry out against him, saying, leave us alone. They know who Jesus is. The crowds know him to be a miracle worker and a teacher, and that he has this authority, and some people are picking up on who he is, and others not so much. The leper, the paralytic, the man with the withered hand, they all have a pretty good idea about who Jesus is. The religious leaders, they don't like who Jesus is claiming to be. And so they're trying to trap him and they want to kill him. And lastly, the disciples who have been called by Jesus, they're slowly figuring out who Jesus is. So already from the very beginning of Mark's gospel, you get the point that Mark is trying to show us who the real Jesus is. And as we're seeing this story build, more and more people are discovering who this man is, that he is God in the flesh. And then they're ultimately going to realize what he came to do. Now, Mark's gospel has been leading with this question. Do you know Jesus? And that's the question we're going to ask here today. Do you know Jesus? And we're going to obviously lead with that question every single week, but do you know him? You know, he is from Nazareth and lived in Capernaum, but he's more than that. He came from heaven. He 
met people's physical needs, but so much more than that, he met people's spiritual needs as he offered them the forgiveness of their sins. He is a good leader. He's a good teacher. He's a good moral guide, but he is so much more than that. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And so where we pick up today in Mark's gospel, chapter 3, verse 20, we're going to be faced again with this question of, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Jesus is starting to show that there's those who are going to accept him and that there are those who are going to reject him. And we need to know where we stand on that matter. Do you accept Jesus or do you reject Jesus? That is our question today. And so Mark chapter 3 Verse 20, it says, Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out and seized him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. So these crowds, you know, they're, they're not leaving Jesus alone. They're following him every single place that he's going. And Jesus, last week we saw, needed to have a getaway boat, because the crowds were so thick and pressing in upon him that they were concerned that they might crush Jesus. And so Jesus has now gone back home, which is in Capernaum. That's where he lived as an adult. And the crowd was so thick in surrounding Jesus and his disciples that it tells us there that they didn't even have enough time to have a meal. They weren't able to eat. And if I could just make a simple point here, you know, ministry can get very busy. <laughs> Life can get very busy. Can I, can I get an Amen. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about how life can get busy. See, but one thing that Jesus does throughout Mark is that he gets busy and the needs that arise become so great that they're skipping meals, but Jesus would often call his disciples away so that they could rest. See, because if we're missing meals, if we're skipping the most fundamental human needs that we have, there's a problem. And for Jesus, he realized that even as a man, because of course you realize Jesus was God, but he was also a man who had physical needs, that Jesus found time to eat. Jesus found time to sleep. Jesus found time to pray. Jesus would not allow the busyness of life and ministry to distract him from his most fundamental human needs. Because look, he was a man. And, and, and as human beings, we get tired, we get hungry. You know, if you're an introvert, you know that feeling that you get when you've been around a lot of people where you just come home and you're just spent. Anybody knows what that feels like, right? Jesus understood those feelings. He understood that he needed to break away and it was fine for Jesus at certain times to forego a meal to meet the busy demands of ministry, but he would always find that time to rest. And it's important, friends, that we break away from the busy demands of work and ministry to find solitude, to find a place where we can rest a while, where we can refresh our souls. Because if you think that you don't need that, Trust me, it's going to catch up to you. It will catch up to you, whether it's that you burn out or it has its effects upon your family. Make sure that you are finding rest. And remember this, that the flip side can also preach. That sometimes you're a little bit 
finding a little too much rest, a little too much leisure, and you need to do a little bit more ministry. So the both sides can be true. And so just to encourage you, you, you go work that out with Jesus. You, you know what you need before God, and Jesus will help you to be able to find that. And so Jesus is there in Capernaum meeting the needs of this huge crowd, and his family members came to Jesus, and <clears throat> they're trying to have like an intervention with him. Look at what it says, you know, that they thought that he was out of his mind. Because ever since Jesus left Nazareth and became an itinerant preacher, he was saying some things that were pretty concerning to them. He uh, left Nazareth, and they all knew him because, you know, of growing up around him. This was the son of Mary and the son of Joseph. This was the man who labored as a skilled worker in his family's trade. Um, and, and we don't have all the biblical record of Jesus's early life. We see him at his birth, and then we see him get lost in Jerusalem at one point as a teenager, and, and then we pretty much don't see anything else except for when he begins his public ministry around the age 30. But his family and community in Nazareth, they knew Jesus really well. They spent a lot of time with him. You know, they, they saw when Jesus learned how to walk. They were there when Jesus lost his first tooth. They were there when Jesus started school and when he started working with his father, Joseph. And his family was very familiar with him. Do you realize that Jesus had brothers and sisters? You know, they were half brothers and sisters. They shared the same mom, but of course they had different dads. Because if you don't realize it yet, Jesus' father is God. And, and so, you know, Joseph was sort of an adoptive father, but Mary and Joseph had more kids after Jesus. In fact, James and Jude, we have two letters from them in our Bible. They were both half-brothers of Jesus. And those guys, even just those two alone, they didn't believe in Jesus until much later, until after the resurrection. Because when Jesus was on the earth walking among them, they're like, who's this guy that we grew up with? And now he's casting out demons and saying some real interesting things like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. And <laughs> like calling people on mountains and saying, follow me. <laughs> Who is this guy? And so they think he's out of his mind. They think he's nuts. And, and they're not following him. You know, which of course brings to mind the fact that you know, this might be the case for some of you, that as you've begun to follow Jesus, people think that you're out of your mind. You know, and it's often those that are closest to us that think this way. And look, I, I know this from deep personal experience that ministering to your immediate family could be the hardest thing. I mean, the people that know you well, whether it's family or close friends who've grown up with you, and then at some point where you begin following Jesus, they're like, wow, what happened to you? Like you're taking this whole Jesus thing pretty seriously, aren't you? And, and this familiarity can often breed disbelief. You know, when your family or friends who know you well and maybe even know your past and they see that you're beginning to follow Jesus, maybe you've even had friends or family come and try to have an intervention with you. Hey, you're taking this whole Jesus thing a little bit too seriously, okay? Okay. But we need to understand that even for Jesus, the Son of God, those that were closest to him, you know, when he was in Nazareth, it says that he could hardly minister there. 
Because again, familiarity can often breed disbelief. And maybe you're in that situation where you know a lot about Jesus. Perhaps because you have friends or family that follow Jesus. Maybe you went to the Christian preschool or the Christian elementary school or you were homeschooled or Christian college and so you know a lot about Jesus. You understand his teachings and you know a lot of people that follow him but, but you're struggling in yourself because of all this familiar, familiarity that you have about Jesus and yet you yourself are really struggling to have a real relationship with Jesus. You know a lot about him but there's this disbelief that's in you. Can I encourage you today that you would not be out of your mind if you believed in Jesus? Because Jesus was not out of his mind. His claims are real. You know, C.S. Lewis says he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's a Lord. What is he to you? You have to decide. Don't, don't boil him down just to a good teacher. Don't boil him down to, you know, great for society. Is he your God? Do you believe in him? So familiarity can breed disbelief, but listen, friends, Jesus calls us into family, as we'll see in a little bit. Now, let's look at the next verses we'll consider today, verses 20 to verses 30. We're going to read this uh, bigger chunk here, and it says this, that the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, he is possessed by Beelzebul. And by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against its house, uh, itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. And so we have these scribes, and, you know, it's suggested that they were from an elite group, kind of the top of the top of the scribes. And they come to Jesus, and, you know, so far the religious leaders have had questions for Jesus, but not here. They've already made up their minds about who Jesus is, and they were speaking to the people and spreading lies about Jesus, saying that he was casting out demons by the demonic powers, they were saying that he was possessed by Beelzebul, which was another name that was given to Satan. You know, the origin of that name has the idea of the Lord of the flies. But regardless of its meaning, the accusations against Jesus were wrong. Jesus was not doing what he was doing by the power of Satan because that would just be simply illogical. You know, and Jesus is going to show here that it is illogical. Verse 23, Jesus calls them to himself in order to tell them a parable. And Jesus would tell parables because the humble would receive the parables, but the proud, they wouldn't get it. And so he calls them to him and he says in this parable, he says, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, how can that kingdom stand? 
And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. You see the logic there, right? I mean, how can Satan stand against Satan? He can't. Because if you know anything about Satan, you know that he came to steal and kill and destroy. I mean, that's his MO. That's what he's all about. The last thing that Satan wants to do is cast a demon out. You know, Satan and his demons want to possess, oppress, torment, annoy, agitate, pull everyone down with them. Why in the world would Satan try to cast out demons? Satan wants to have dominion in people's life and to cast out Satan thus removes his dominion and his power. So it just simply doesn't make sense. Can I just say too that Satan is real? If we're talking about the real Jesus, we have to understand that Satan is also real. And he would want nothing more than this morning for you just to tune this out. Because Satan has a kingdom. And it's a kingdom of darkness. And he is the God, lowercase g, of it. But Jesus has a kingdom called the kingdom of light, and he is God, capital G, of it. And the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light are opposed to one another. And only light can cast out darkness. Darkness cannot cast out light. If you go into a dark room, you don't turn on dark. You turn on light. And only Jesus has that light to cast out that darkness. And we know that when Jesus came, he came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8 tells us that. And he is doing that very thing. But these scribes from Jerusalem were attributing his works to the devil. And Jesus goes on to say in verse 27, But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then he may plunder his house. So the strong man is the devil. And his house is the earth, and he has a certain dominion of it. That is why he is called the God of this world. But Jesus came from heaven to earth to plunder his goods. And that is why Jesus brings this gospel that continues to this day. And, and listen, Jesus is plundering the goods of Satan. He has, he is, and he will do that. And this church is in partnership with him in it. We are in partnership of one soul at a time, plundering palace verdes by the power of God because he is mighty to save. See, Jesus plunders the devil one life at a time, Colossians 1, 13 through 14 says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. That tells us that Jesus is greater than the devil. See, the devil and Jesus, they're not equal in power. We don't believe in dualism where it's just this back and forth battle and we're all wondering who's gonna win. <laughs> Jesus has already won. He already has the victory, and he is plundering that liar and that thief. That is what Jesus is doing. Now, clearly, there's this situation happening where people are asking this same question that we're asking today. Who is Jesus? What is his real identity? And these scribes, 
have believed that Jesus is possessed by Satan and that he does his works by the power of Satan. And Jesus is going to tell them the sort of danger that this puts people in. Verse 28 through 30, it says, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemes they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. All right, so here we see this statement from Jesus where he identifies a sin called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is maybe more commonly referred to or known as the unforgivable sin. And there's always some questions that arise about this particular subject. We see in our text here that Jesus is clearly saying something that is real and that exists. And many people struggle to try to figure out what Jesus is saying. And, and a lot of times people get all caught up in worry and concern that maybe they have committed this sin. So you're saying that there is this sin and that it is unforgivable. Have I committed that sin? So let's consider a couple of questions as we look now at these really important words of Jesus. We want to know what is going on here. We want to know what is Jesus talking about, and then we want to know, have I committed this sin? So first, what is going on here? Jesus has been accused of casting out demons by the power of Satan when Jesus actually casts out demons by the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the scribes are attributing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. And Jesus said, if a person does this, they are committing an eternal sin. So what is Jesus talking about? Well, first we have to understand that this is a true statement. He said, assuredly, I say to you, he's saying this sin does happen. And there are people who are guilty of this sin. And Jesus prefaces by saying that all sins will be forgiven, whatever blasphemies they utter. So you can sin in all sorts of ways, whether in thought or in word, or in deed, and if you bring it to Jesus, he is able to forgive it all. If you repent of your sin and turn to Jesus Christ, he can forgive you of any and all sin. Murder is not the unforgivable sin. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Fornication is not the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that? See, if you remain in a place of being hardened in your rejection of the grace of God, and you will not bring your sin to Jesus in repentance, how can God forgive such a person who remains in such a hardened position of rejecting the salvation and the free gift of God? See, to sin in this kind of way, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, is to call things of darkness light in things of light, darkness. It is to reject the witness of the Holy Spirit. What is his witness? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The role of the Holy Spirit is to point people to Jesus. And if you're rejecting that witness of the Holy Spirit, and you are calling evil good and good evil, as the case of the scribes, and you're calling the Holy Spirit an unclean spirit, and you're saying that the Spirit of God is actually a spirit of darkness, that's an unforgivable sin. A person who commits the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a person by their continuous and ongoing rejection of the Holy Spirit's witness, 
which is to direct them to Jesus for salvation, where they deem the Holy Spirit as powerless to save them because they are so bent on calling good evil and evil good that they harden themselves to the truth of the gospel and of the saving power of Jesus, and they remain hardened in that position until they perish from this earth. See, that there is the unforgivable sin in case that clears it up for anybody. Now, if you're concerned that you've committed this eternal sin, you've probably not committed it because you are concerned. (laughs) See, it's to be unconcerned with Jesus. It's to be careless about the witness of the Spirit. It's to reject the grace of God. But if you're concerned, be sure that you have not committed this. But can I just say this to you? To be sure that you've not committed this sin, you simply need to receive the Holy Spirit's witness to you, which is to believe in Jesus Christ, that he died on a cross for your sins, and that he rose from the dead, and that he offers you salvation. And when you receive it by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you, and his good and everlasting presence will always be with you. So we don't want to shirk off this warning because, again, this is a true statement. There are people who are settled in their rejection of Jesus. They continually reject the work of the Spirit's witness in them, and they are in danger of this eternal sin. And if that's you, stop resisting God and surrender to him today. He offers you salvation. He offers you forgiveness. And so if the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is an eternal sin, it is because only Jesus can offer eternal life. And his eternal life that is offered to us is in a place called heaven. And if you reject Jesus, then you are accepting separation from an eternal God in an eternal dwelling place. And that separation will will be spent in a place called hell where the unforgivable sin is that eternal place where that will be spent. Now, if Jesus is calling you to believe in him today, you have to understand what is in the balance. You know, just as there is a kingdom of light and a kingdom of darkness, do you realize that those kingdoms will continue on? And Jesus speaks about them very clearly in his word. The kingdom of light continues in the place that the Bible calls heaven, and the kingdom of darkness continues in a place that the Bible calls hell. And there are two dwelling places. Those who have had their sins remedied by Jesus will spend it in eternity in heaven, and those who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit and rejected his witness will spend that in a place called hell. So Mark goes back then now to the family of Jesus where they're having this sort of intervention with Jesus, and they're saying that he is out of his mind. Jesus is crazy to be saying and doing the things that he's doing. And listen, I'm going to give you an opportunity in a moment to believe upon Jesus, but I understand that what I've just said, (laughs) I mean, think about the things that I said. I've just talked about Jesus. I've just talked about the Holy Spirit. I've just talked about sin. I've talked about heaven and hell, and you might very well think this guy is just out of his mind. (laughs) But you know what? I'm in pretty good company with Jesus. 
They said it about Jesus, that he was out of his mind for saying and doing the things that he did. I'd rather be with Jesus, the Son of God, and find my company with him. Now, verse 31 to 35, this is the last portion we'll look at as we close. It says, And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they said to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus gets right to it. He's answering our question, do you know Jesus? Because we've seen that knowing Jesus isn't about familiarity. It isn't about knowing things about him because maybe you grew up in a culture where Jesus was presented in some sort of way and you know facts about him and you know you have some idea about who he is, but you have no real relationship with him. Knowing Jesus isn't about religion where hardness of heart dismisses the reality of who Jesus is and only offers you dead and broken moralism. And even go so far as in the case of the scribes to reject the power and the witness of the spirit. Because listen, knowing Jesus is about a spiritual family. Becoming a child of God, becoming a brother or sister with Jesus. And this is how Jesus identifies his people. He identifies his people as family. This is so near and dear to my heart. Where, you know, Jesus wasn't dissing on his biological family as they called for him because they wanted to meet with him. They're saying, hey, your family's here and they want to talk to you. Jesus loved his biological family, but in Jesus, he offered a whole new family. He offered a family that would connect us to his heavenly father where we would be the family of God. And that is something so dear to me because when I became a Christian, when I was 17 years old, and I entered into the church, I found mothers and fathers, I found brothers and sisters, I found real relationship that even at times extended beyond my biological family. There truly is in the church a real spiritual family that exists and it is formed in Christ. He is our brother and he connects us to a heavenly father. And there is a real relationship that you can have with Jesus that is just like having a true and living family. And we're all a little bit messed up. But Jesus has made us righteous. And Jesus said, by this you will know who my family is. By this you will know the people who know who I am. Those who do the will of God. Those who do the will of God, that is my family, Jesus said. Are you doing the will of God? Are you in the family of God that can only, you can only have adoption, can only have acceptance through Jesus Christ? Dear brothers and sisters, I, I plead with you that if you have yet to be reconciled to God, by the saving work of Jesus Christ, that today that you would do that. That you would turn from your sin, 
that you would turn from your rejection of Jesus and that you would accept him and you'd begin to do the will of God. The will of God today, first and foremost, is that you would believe upon Jesus in faith and that by his grace, he will save you. First and foremost, that is the will of God today. And for those of us who know him, his will is that we would continue by the power of his spirit to do the will of God and plunder the goods of Satan. This church, I said, is in partnership with plundering Palace Verdes, the South Bay, for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to do it one soul at a time as he transfers people from the kingdom of light, kingdom of darkness, to the kingdom of light. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. And as we pray right now, Lord, I believe right now your spirit is moving in our midst. Holy Spirit, you come like the wind. We don't see where it's coming from or where it's going. But you said that we must be born again. We were born once into a biological family, and that is a good thing, but there is a new birth that needs to happen. We need to be born again into a spiritual family. And and, and I believe that there are people sitting among us today, perhaps, who want to enter into this family. They've heard the message of the gospel, and they're saying, I want to have this family. I want to be connected to God. And I realize today the only way that that's possible is through Jesus Christ. And so right now, Uh, I want to respond to the Spirit's witness testifying in my spirit that I need to believe upon Jesus. And if you sense right now as you're sitting there and as I'm praying that God's Spirit is speaking to you, it might feel like a pit in your stomach. It might feel like the wheels are turning in your head. You might think that you're out of your mind for listening to the things that I said, but there's something about Jesus. There's something about the devil. There's something about sin and heaven and hell. And you're saying, I need to believe in this. Would you stand to your feet right now and make a bold proclamation that you want to follow Jesus? You can stand up and I'll pray for you to receive Christ today. Amen. Praise God. Praise the Lord. As the Spirit is working and moving, perhaps you're still sensing that you need to do this. And and don't resist it. Don't reject it. Because to continue to resist and reject the Spirit is a dangerous thing. If you sense Him moving, that you need to connect to the real Jesus. You bring your real you to the real Jesus, and He'll do something supernatural in you today. You can stand to your feet. And we'll pray in just a second. Amen. Lord Jesus, for those standing, I pray, Lord, that they would receive your grace right now, your free gift of salvation. And if you're standing, just pray this prayer in your heart. Lord Jesus, I believe that I am a sinner. Lord Jesus, I believe that you left heaven and came to earth to die on a cross and rose from the dead, and that work forgives me of my sins. I receive your gift of eternal life today. I ask that you would be my Lord, my Savior, my friend. And God, I ask that you would help me to do your will, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all celebrate. Amen. Says that when one sinner repents, the angels in heaven are rejoicing. So today's cause for rejoicing if you stood to receive Jesus as your Savior. We're all going to stand up together and celebrate the work that God's done today. Amen? Amen.